0: Um, Good morning. My name is Allison. I am the associate pastor here at Arbor Church. The very shocking thing about me being here speaking today is that last time I spoke on Mother's Day, I uh, had the audacity to talk about a very controversial subject. And that was the Proverbs 31 woman. And of course, you know, I get almost booed off the stage because nobody wants to hear about her on Mother's Day, right? So anyhow, but I'm back in the saddle again. I'm going to try it again. Um, This time, though, I've picked an even more controversial subject, if you can imagine that, because not not shy when it comes to controversy. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about weight, about weight on Mother's Day. Yes, we're going to address the weight that you've been carrying I think some of us have been carrying a little extra weight these days. So, in the last little while while I've been prepping for today, and I knew that mothers would love to talk about this subject, actually, um, I, dis- I discovered that there are two different kinds of weight that we end up carrying. And so, see if this might be true for you. See if it might be true. The first one we are going to call heart weight. Heart weight. And that is the weight that we bear in our hearts. That could be an unfulfilled dream, an uh, unmet desire. It could be a broken hope and a sense that something's just not right. Something's not the way that it should be. And we carry that with us through our days. It gives us kind of a navy blue filter on the way that we perceive the world around us, Every now and then it surprises us with either tears or anger that whip up at a moment's notice like the white caps off the 520 bridge. Sometimes this heart weight even affects us in our sleep. It's something that we're bearing up under. So that's heart weight. The second kind of weight that we carry, I'm gonna call heart weight. This is the weight that we endure, okay? This is the time frame between our, our hope that is unfulfilled and the time that it might be filled. So we wait, we wait. Uh, it, it, it is uh, a compounded weight when you add both kinds of heart weights together. Um, God seems to be taking his time handling your weight. This heart weight plus heart weight formula is what we're gonna be addressing today. I hope that you understand that this is not a gendered topic. This is not just for the women in the room today, though those are the ones that I'm hoping walk away feeling blessed the most today. But I think that every human heart has experienced this to one degree or another throughout all ages and stages of life. So, but in honor of Mother's Day today, I've uh, chosen a mother from scripture for us to learn from. We're gonna ask the question, is there a purpose for all this heart weight? Um, should I be only about weight loss? Should I only be considering like how to get rid of this weight? But I'm not gonna bury the lead with you. Today I'm gonna talk more about weight management. Weight management, where is God? in this as we struggle up under a concern or an unfulfilled hope. Our teaching passage comes from back in the day. We're going back 3,000 years ago to the book of 1 Samuel. And I need you to know uh, a little bit about that. 1 Samuel happens at a time that in the Hebrew Bible is is, is right following the book of Judges. And so Judges was a book full of leaders. They were called Judges in the land of Israel. And they were trying to guide the people and guide them back to the Lord. It was not, it was not flawless. In fact, the very last line in the book of Judges says this. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So I like to think it may have been called the promised land, but was it a peaceful land? No, it was more like the problem land. <laughs> so the book of Judges ends. We turn a page and there we meet Hannah, who is the main character today in our story. We're going to start with First uh, Samuel 1, chapter 1. It starts by introducing the characters. There was a man from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of the first was Hannah, and the name of the second was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Rut row, <laughs> right? We already see that there's a problem here in this home. Hannah is the first wife, so by rights, she has the priority and status um with with the husband but the writer hints that there might be an issue happening here there are two wives but only one has children well let's see if that's a problem or not the story goes on this man Elkanah would go up year after year to to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh it was there that Eli and his two sons served as the Lord's priests When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions, that is like the meat sacrifice, he would give portions to Penina and and to her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Okay. So there are the characters. We've got Elkanah. He's a devout man of God who goes up year after year to sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle was and where the Lord's presence literally was. It was there. And so year after year, uh, people would go and pilgrimage up and leave a sacrifice So he's faithful, but this is a a time that men were not faithful, men and women, human beings, were not faithful in the promised land. Remember, it was the problem land. Everyone was doing right in his own eyes. But here's Elkanah, still faithful and devout year after year. Then we also met Hannah. She's the hometown favorite of her husband, but she's childless, which after time may have necessitated pulling in that second wife so this is then penina the second wife she had not just one child but many because scripture says all of her sons and daughters it's plural so when i was doing mommy math i was like okay let's say there's two of each like two boys two girls How many pregnancies did Hannah have to watch happen? How many like postpartum times? How many kids around the table are starting to fill up? You know, it's just, it seems like a long time that Hannah has to endure the presence of her nieces and nephews. So I would say probably at the very least we're looking at a decade for her. How are the two wives getting along? The writer goes on, her rival used to aggravate, I think using the word rival there tells us a little bit. Her rival used to aggravate her to the point of exasperation just to irritate her since the Lord had not enabled her to have children. This is how it would go year after year. As often as she went to the Lord's house, Penina would offend her in that way. So Hannah cried and refused to eat. Then her husband said to her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Aren't I better t- to you than ten sons? Yeah, right. So <laughs> here we we address Hannah's heart weight her heart weight compounded year over year with her heart weight. Year after year she's having to endure this, the scorn and ridicule of her sister wife, which is made even worse because the subject of her bullying is her, is her insecurity and her weak spot. It's her barrenness. I noticed something interesting about this passage though as I was studying it. Kind of a different um, compounding factor if you will. Notice the writer had said it was the Lord who had closed her womb. It was the Lord. God is acknowledged here as the one who's responsible for Hannah's condition. He is the hold up to her achieving her heart's desire. And yet it's to him that they are going year after year to sacrifice. So I would say that her faith practice seemed like it needed a trigger warning on it. If, if those were a thing back in the day, it seems like here's this faithful woman going year after year to sacrifice and meet with the Lord who is the one who's holding up her, her, her parenthood. Her greatest sorrow happens at a time of worship or in a place of worship. And I'm sure there are some people here today who can identify with that, unfortunately. Well, Elkanah does what he can. He orders her extra meat on her burrito bowl. But it turns out that the real beef is with her rival. Penina, (laughs) you like that one? (laughs) You never know when it's going to happen here. Uh, Penina is jealous right, of the way that Elkanah loves Hannah, and so this is probably just fueling her provocation, right? She just loves digging into Hannah because she knows that that she is her husband's favorite. I'm sure she hated that. God, the author of life, alone, who can change Hannah's condition, but has not yet, is still being faithfully sought year after year, worshiped and given sacrifice. But in this scene, it seems to have come to a climax. We have this year that they had gone up, the same thing is happening. There's the teasing, there's the double portion, but she still has this heart weight. In this scene, Hannah is crying. She can't eat and Elkanah tries to comfort her. Didn't you love that? He was like, aren't I better than 10 cents? (laughs) In a way, I would have loved to see her face there. But then I think, oh, no, I can, I can picture what she's uh, thinking. But I think it's the last straw for, for poor Hannah because she gets up from the dinner table in tears. Her husband doesn't understand. Penina and all of her kids are there. She can't stand that. She wishes she could pick up the phone and call her mom for encouragement right then. Or she wishes she could go for a drive and turn up the music, and just cry. But she can't. <coughs> and where does Hannah go in her distress? Turns out that Hannah goes to the Lord. She goes to the sanctuary. And there, other than a priest who's sitting at the doorway, it's just Hannah and the Lord there. This is what it says. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Clearly something touches me <laughs> about this. It did every time I read through it. So I drilled down a little bit to know more, like what does, what does the original writing mean when it talks about this scene? I saw that the Hebrew word for cry is baka. And it seems like an ordinary kind of crying, like it's not the polite like getting misty where you save your mascara. And you just do a little dabbing. It's not that, it's crying, like I am crying a lot, but the Hebrew writer here uses it twice. So it's like, baka, baka, weeping bitterly. In our language, that is ugly crying, <laughs> ugly crying. And I read more because I deep dive on these kinds of weird things. It's, uh, it, it's the kind of mourning cry, like a wailing, that is um, seen across cultures and over centuries at grave sites. That there is like a keening is another word for it. Um, like about being bowed down and weeping bitterly. Our Hannah girl is wailing before the Lord out of deep grief and pain, pouring her heart out to the only one who can hold the weight and end her weight. And as she weeps, she makes a remarkable vow to the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, I will give him back to you. I will. He will be yours his entire lifetime. Do you see me, Lord? Do you see my sorrow? Look on me. Do you see my pain? Hannah's prayer is so vulnerable and yet so bold, so bold. In it, she uses the term Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts is used over 200 times in scripture, but the very first time it shows up is in her story. She is the first one to ever address the Lord by this term. And she's saying, you who have unlimited power, help me, the powerless, the powerless. I know you can do it. And she also says this big... Big prayer and promise. If you give me my heart's desire, I will give it back to you. I will dedicate it back to you. And you know what? She is serious. This is not the kind of, like, dedicating to the Lord where you're like, oh, like, I'll teach him to say the blessing at dinner and, like, I'll bring him to church, like if it's not too sunny out, you know? <laughs> or whatever. She is serious. She's like, I am going to give him back to you, meaning, as soon as I wean him, which is three or four years old, I'm going to drop him at the doorstep of the church, and I am going to let the priest raise him. His entire life will be devoted to the Lord. That is the, I mean, that is like a big prayer. And I wish I could use other kind of language to describe it. But that is a big one. That is a big one. Spoiler alert. Nope, I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert. Anyhow, is it possible that such a promise could be made and kept? What kind of person, what kind of person makes a vow like that? I think it has to do with the alchemy of her heart weight while her heart Weights, the alchemy of her heart weight over time while her heart waits. I thought of Hannah as I read the paper a couple of weeks ago. She's been on my heart all month, and I've just been thinking about her every time I apparently read the paper. <laughs> but in it, I read that California had experienced this winter had experienced torrential rain torrential rain. High pressure from the storm force broke up the earth, flooding rivers, covering layers and layers of embedded gold. This stormy churn produced what is being called flood gold. Flood gold, a natural spring of gold born from torrential weight of water, storm after storm. Okay? For Hannah it was year after year. This pressure, this weight, repeatedly over time, at least a decade worth, right, has produced in her a flood gold of devotion to the Lord, like she's able to make this big promise to him. Honed from the deepest part of the soul in time, gold emerges from dark caverns of pain. The the promise to give her child back to God, how many storms had to have hit, how much time had to have passed before her heart and will to be at this point of surrender. So back at the sanctuary, we have Hannah weeping, bowed, keening, and she's praying. And remember, we said that Eli was at the door. He's like the priest, and he's over there, and he's watching So the scripture goes on, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. "Uh, How long are you gonna be drunk? Get rid of your wine. Such an encouraging ministry leader response, right? (laughs) I'm like, oh gosh, way way to represent, Eli, way to represent. But she says, hey, no, my Lord. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the deep depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, oh, okay, so go in peace. May the God of Israel uh, grant you the petition that you've requested from him. May May your servant find favor with you, she replied. And then she went on her way. She ate and she no longer looked despondent. Her weight issue was gone. She no longer looked despondent. The Hebrew, (laughs) I love this, the Hebrew Bible phrases it this way, her face did not belong to her anymore. (laughs) That's what it looked like. She looked like a totally different woman coming out of that sanctuary. It was like, where'd your face go? You look so like happy. Is this you, Hannah? She was at peace, she was weightless. The transformation was not due to her husband's like loving efforts. Shout out to him for trying, but like he mis- <laughs> missed the mark, and even the priest did not have like magic words to say that instantly like, solved, her, solved her weight. It wasn't even that the Lord had made a promise to her. In that time, we don't even see him moving, really, on her behalf, right? but he was present with her, he was present with her. She called him by a name that acknowledged he alone was in control, she showed him her pain and promised to give him back something that she yearned for, and he was present with her. Okay, if you're like most people in this room, because I, I, I know this, If you're like most people in this room, you read through a passage like this prescriptively, prescriptively, meaning like, okay, I see somebody who wants something and she's gonna like talk to the Lord about it and she's gonna say words and then he's gonna like take action. Tell me the words to say so that I can get the same result. That's what most of us think. We're like, okay, there is something that I want. There is something that's a heart weight for me and I've been waiting a really long time for it. Tell me the words to say so that I can get the action, that I can get the desired result. We think of it prescriptively. And you're like, okay, great, I'm so glad she got a facelift. Like, so happy that she's happy, that's great for her, but like, tell me this, does she get a baby? Does she get what she wanted? We still want to focus on outcomes like that. And, like, prescriptively, like, how can I do that too? We want to run to the next part because we think if it worked for her, then it will work for me too. And I don't want to do this year after year. Like, teach me the script now and memorize it. And so, like, I don't have to wait that long. That's our temptation. But what if in the moment, in the sanctuary, For Hannah, what if this is the good part? What if this is the outcome? She was present with the Lord and her weight was lifted. What if the good part is turning to the Lord with your whole heart? Ugly crying, (laughs) asking him to see you and him being present with you. What if that's the outcome? I feel like this was a colossal faith moment for her in this, don't you? Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Like a flood rain in California, the stuff that's emerging from Hannah's heart right now is pure gold. And it's coming because of weight and weight. What's happening to her here is greater Faith. We know this because what's happened, she's not pregnant yet, right? She hasn't, had, she hasn't seen the fulfillment of her hope. But her appetite's back and her face was lifted. I think that our Old Testament friend, Hannah, had a New Testament experience of what 2 Corinthians says about weight. It says, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, Our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is achieving, is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The good part is that Hannah got to foretaste that. She was being renewed day by day, year after year. I'm tempted, actually, I was really super tempted to end the sermon right here and just be like, okay, you guys, like this is the good stuff. This is the gold. You can come to the Lord and, and you can show him your pain. You can be really authentic about it. You can ugly cry in front of him. He will meet you there. That will build your faith. That's the good stuff. And I feel like his being present with us what, what, how does it get better than that? How does it get better than that? And so I was tempted to end right there. And I felt like ending the sermon here would keep the emphasis on the beauty in connection time with the Lord and less about the outcomes, less about if she got a baby or not. Because that should be our heart's desire, right? Is that we would be satisfied by him before we have outcomes. But that, that is the gold part. His presence is enough. It is. But then I thought, there's something for us also in the outcomes of Hannah's story that can encourage us. So I will end the story for you. <laughs> Get this. God did give her a baby. He did. And she named him Samuel, which means, like, the Lord heard me. Like, proof, right? Here he is. I asked God for him. And then she burst into a prayer song that is in chapter 2, if you want to read it later. That is read year after year in the Jewish uh, Rosh Hashanah celebration. She is an inspiration because of her bold prayer, bold faith. She's the first infertile woman to have initiated this courageous, promise-making prayer with the Lord. Well, did she end up devoting Samuel to the Lord? Indeed, yes. When he was weaned at about three years old, she did, she dropped him off at the church and visited him year after year, gave him a new little coat as he grew. Can you imagine leaving your three-year-old here at Arbor? Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Strongly encourage you not to. Please go pick up your children, but 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 she was there. right like she was there. Like I I am so wholeheartedly devoting him to the Lord that like I'm not even really going to be in the picture except for his little wardrobe wardrobe upgrade every year. Um, did she end up having more children? Yep, she had three sons, two daughters, and the Lord was kind to her. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up serving the Lord. Um, little note about Samuel. He became a prophet at eight years old, eight years old. And as an adult, he led God's people with integrity and wisdom Um, because he was so extraordinarily attuned to God's voice and he obeyed it uh, and so effective at removing idol worship from the community. Scripture said that the Lord's hand was against Israel's enemies every day of Samuel's life. So an extraordinary human. The description that we read right before Hannah's story was this, at at that time there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The turning point for this nation was Hannah's faith. Hannah's action, born out of a place of pain, God, through her, reversed the welfare of a nation at just the perfect time. Her weight had a purpose. As we close today, I wanna just leave you with two things to cling to. As you manage your weight, (laughs) I want you to think about how extraordinary heart weight can forge the extraordinary I thought about glaciers that cut granite mountains. Something extraordinarily big and powerful can have such a huge effect on on granite mountains. And that carbon that is so deeply buried, that is where diamonds are born. The weight that you are carrying is producing an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So extraordinary heart weight forges the extraordinary, and also I want you to remember that we wait on a countdown that only God can see. Torrential, repeated storms are the ones that churn gold, but who knows how many times it took, how many, how many storms have to repeat before that gold is sprung? Only God knows, and he's allowing that to happen toward that end. So as, as you wait with your heart weight, let's shift our focus from that kind of weight issue to the eternal ones that the Lord is working in us in that eternal glory that we mentioned earlier. And this verse leaves us with uh, our final encouragement. The band can come up now. Uh, Second Corinthians says we do not give up for our momentary light affliction is producing in us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we focus on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In the now and the not yet, something is being forged in us that's extraordinary. We hope in what is unseen, but know this, friends, our faith is in a God who sits beside us in the sanctuary while we weep. He is present in our pain. This God doesn't just see our pain Are ugly crying, scripture says that he holds those tears in a bottle because they're precious to him. We are precious to him. He knows each of them. He knows each of us and not one of those tears is wasted. He is able to transform us when we come to him that way, exchanging that weight for an incomparable eternal weight of glory. I'm gonna ask us to enter a time of prayer before we sing our last worship song. And if everybody would just close their eyes during this time, I wanna pray for the people who feel like they're carrying a heart weight that you need a little extra. (laughs) Support, prayer, comfort. Would you slip your hand up as everybody else is closing their eyes? Would you slip your hand up And I will pray for you. Let's pray. Lord of hosts, (laughs) you see the unseen. You see the heart weight each of these saints carry. We're in your sanctuary today saying, Do you see our pain? Do you see our suffering? Lord, your presence is enough. It really is. We thank you for being our comforter, for being near us. We just ask, Lord, that you would draw near in a way that comforts us and gives us peace and transforms us. That you give us a facelift, that even our face won't be our face anymore. And people would say, they're so marked by joy. What happened? And it would be, our faces are radiant because we were with you despite the outcomes lord we trust you but we also ask in your mercy and in your grace if the outcomes that you desire for us could be made known in our lifetime that we could see this and that you would comfort us as we press forward bearing this eternal weight of glory it's for your it's for your glory lord we just thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.